Section 46 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Fletcher, Hobart, 2019. The Mysteries of London, Volume 4, by George W. M. Reynolds. Father and Son. Mr. Hatfield found his son waiting for him in the coffee-room, and entering the citadine or one-horse hackney-coach in which the former had arrived, they proceeded to the hotel at which he had put up, and which was in the Place Vendôme. It was now past eleven o'clock, for the incidents related in the two preceding chapters had occupied two full hours, and during that interval how many revelations had been made, what changes of feeling effected, what new emotions engendered, and what bright visions destroyed. Yet such is human life, and two minutes instead of two hours are often sufficient to hurl down the finest fabrics of happiness which the imagination has ever built up in the realms of fancy or the sphere of reality. On arriving at the hotel in the Place Vendôme, the father and son repaired to the apartment occupied by the former, and Charles threw himself on a sofa, as if exhausted and overwhelmed by the terrible excitement he had undergone that morning. Mr. Hatfield related to him all that had passed between Perdita and himself after the young man had quitted the room, and Charles was rejoiced, if rejoiced he could be in the midst of the strange thoughts and reminiscences which crowded upon him, to learn that the family papers were secure in his father's possession. And those papers shall no longer be a source of alarm and embarrassment to those whom they so deeply regard, said Mr. Hatfield, when he had brought his brief narrative to a conclusion. And then ringing the bell, he ordered the waiter who answered the summons to bring him a lighted candle. This command was speedily obeyed, and when the domestic had retired, Mr. Hatfield, having thrown all the documents upon the hearth, set them alight while they were consuming those precious papers which were worth an earldom to him did he choose to avail himself of the proofs which they contained both himself and his son watched them with a fixed gaze but with different emotions for charles sighed as he thought of the bright dreams which the perusal of those papers had so lately excited in his imagination and mr hatfield experienced an indescribable relief in witnessing their destruction now he exclaimed in a tone of triumph no living soul can dispute my brother's right to the rank which he bears and the estates which he possesses nor think charles he added turning to his son and speaking in a calmer and more measured voice think not that it costs me a pang thus to dispose of these papers the flame has died away naught save a heap of tinder remains and I have willingly and cheerfully resigned the power of ever doing mischief or being made the instrument of wrong toward a brother to whom I owe so much. But enough of this, and now tell me, Charles, in details as ample as you can bring your mind to endure, the whole particulars of your unfortunate connection with these women, in order to convince me that nothing more remains to be accomplished to rid ourselves completely of them for you must remember that though we have managed to dispose of the daughter the mother still possesses a knowledge of many secrets which we would not have revealed 
Charles immediately complied with his father's request, and narrated how Mrs. Fitzharding had accosted him in the street, how she had spoken mysteriously, and thereby induced him to accompany her to Suffolk Street, how he had there found himself in the presence of Perdita, and how Mrs. Fitzharding, on a subsequent occasion, mentioned certain family matters evincing her knowledge of special secrets, which she alleged to have been revealed to her by the gypsy Miranda. "'Then it was not from your lips that she first learnt the circumstances connected with myself,' said Mr. Hatfield interrogatively. "'Oh, no, she particularly mentioned the gypsy as her authority for all she knew and alluded to,' was the reply." "'But the gypsy was unaware of the fact of my mother's marriage with the late Earl of Ellingham,' observed Mr. Hatfield, "'and consequently she was ignorant of the legitimacy of my birth and the rights belonging to me thereon.' Oh, "'Now a light breaks in upon my mind,' exclaimed Charles. "'I remember that she was surprised when I told her that I was a young nobleman, as I did then really believe myself to be.' and I likewise recollect that she afterwards spoke to me in a manner which, while pretending a full and perfect acquaintance with all our family affairs, led me to give answers which were doubtless revelations of secrets to her. But all this did not strike me at the time. Now, however, that the film has been removed from my eyes, I behold things in a clearer and truer light." "'Yes, and I can also understand this matter,' said Mr. Hatfield, after a few moments' deep thought. "'On their return to England, these women must have fallen in with Miranda. From her lips they heard enough to put them in possession of secrets which they doubtless intended to use for the purpose of extorting money from me through you. Then your infatuation in respect to the daughter—' led you to speak to the mother in such a random, inconsiderate manner as to make her more fully aware of our family's position. And thus, while affecting to know all, she drew from you those details which filled up the chapters that were wanting in the history as Miranda originally told it. Yes, this must be the truth and the explanation of the whole affair. And now it remains for us to hasten to England without delay, and in case the old woman shall be relieved from the charge at present existing against her, purchase her secrecy and her exile in the same way as we have arranged with her daughter. But how can I face my mother? asked Charles, in a tone expressive of the deepest grief. How meet the Earl of Ellingham, whom I have sought to injure, and Lady Frances, to whom I have conducted myself in so scandalous a manner? "'Oh, now you recognise the impropriety of your behaviour towards her,' exclaimed Mr. Hatfield. "'Oh, I am rejoiced to perceive that your heart is open to impressions of such a saving nature. "'The incidents of this day have made me an altered man,' said Charles emphatically. "'Then I am most happy that they have occurred,' cried his father. "'The teachings have been bitter, bitter indeed, my poor boy.' but the results may constitute an ample recompense alike to yourself and your parents. We have recovered a son. You have acquired an experience ten thousand times more valuable than the best precepts ever inculcated by mortal tongue. Oh, this is true, most true, father, exclaimed Charles. 
but you have not answered the questions the painful questions which i have put to you first then with regard to your mother responded mr hatfield you know that she will receive you with open arms in respect to the earl he must be told all everything and you may count upon his generosity but it is with reference to lady frances ellingham who loves you and from whom the causes of your flight have been carefully concealed and who cannot be informed of your sad connection with a profligate woman oh, it's in regard to her that i know not how to act that i am bewildered cruelly embarrassed oh, remember my dear father said charles in a tone of deep humility that henceforth i shall do your bidding in all things you have but to speak and i obey oh think not my dear son answered mr hatfield that i shall claim of you a deference incompatible with your age and social position or that i shall attempt to exercise an authority that may seem to have borrowed any taint of severity from the experience of the past no but i shall counsel and advise you as a friend and in your best interest shall i ever speak on our arrival in london we will not return immediately to pall mall but we will repair to an hotel whence i will send privately for the earl and his advice will assist me in respect to the course to be observed towards his amiable daughter and now charles do you feel yourself capable of commencing at once our journey homeward or are you too much exhausted oh no no let us depart from paris without delay exclaimed the young man i have no longer any object in remaining here mr hatfield rang the bell and a waiter made his appearance a chaise and four as speedily as possible was the laconic command given and you must have our passports backed for boulogne or calais the domestic bowed and withdrew two hours afterwards the father and son were seated together in the chaise which was rolling rapidly along the road to st denis i will now give you some account of the adventures which i experienced in pursuit of you said mr hatfield who felt that the silence previously existing between himself and charles was growing painful for they had not uttered a word from the moment they entered the vehicle until mr hatfield now spoke an interval of nearly half an hour i shall be pleased to hear them observed the young man anxious to divert his thoughts from the painful topics that were naturally occupying them for i must confess that i am at a loss to conjecture how you happened to fall in with the officers at dover and how you were enabled to trace me to the hotel where you this morning found me the explanation of all this is readily given said mr hatfield and as the chaise was rolling along the unpaved part of the road there was no effort necessary to make his voice audible i shall commence with the incidents of the morning on which you quitted london in company with the two females whose pernicious influence has worked so much mischief you remember that a most painful interview took place between yourself and me in the library and that you burst away perhaps just at the moment when explanations might have arisen to convince you of the futility of your ambitious hopes and golden visions in respect to birth and title shortly after you thus left me the earl entered the room 
and a conversation which took place led to the mention of the secret papers. He sought for them in the recess to which he had consigned them, and they were gone. At the same moment I obtained the conviction that the annual register for a certain year, and containing a certain dreadful narrative, had been lately read. Then a light broke in upon the Earl and myself, and we penetrated the motives of the strange conduct you had recently observed towards your parents. At this juncture Mr. Clarence Villiers made his appearance, and on consulting him we learnt to our dismay that the women who passed under the name Fitzharding were his aunt and cousin, Mrs. Slingsby, who was transported years ago for forgery, and Perdita, her illegitimate child, born in Newgate a few weeks previous to her departure. You may conceive the anguish which we endured when we found that you had become connected with such women, and Villiers hastened to Suffolk Street to obtain an interview with you. Would to God that he'd succeeded in finding me, that my departure with those wretches had been only delayed a few minutes, cried Charles, still a prey to the most harrowing feelings. Alas, you had already fled, continued Mr. Hatfield, and when Villiers returned to communicate this fact, an instantaneous pursuit was resolved upon. Clarence took one road, the Earl another, and I chose the road to Dover. I was mounted on a good horse, and must inevitably have overtaken you before you had proceeded many miles, when on turning an angle of the road I suddenly encountered a light chaise-cart that was turning the corner at a furious rate. The shock was violent, and I was hurled from my horse with such force that I was stunned by the fall. When I recovered my senses, I was lying on a bed at a small roadside tavern, and a candle was burning in the room. It was night. Hours had elapsed since the accident which had occurred, and during that long interval I had remained senseless, unconscious of all that was passing. A surgeon had been sent for from Greenwich, near which place the accident occurred, and he was an ignorant quack who had adopted no effective measures to recover me. But nature had at length asserted her empire in that where medical mismanagement had necessarily failed to produce any good result, and I recovered my powers of thought, only to experience the bitterest anguish at the delay that had taken place. Ill and suffering as I was, I endeavoured to rise, with the determination of pursuing my journey, but this was impossible, for in the first place I was too much exhausted to leave the couch on which I was thus helplessly stretched, and secondly, I learnt to my increased annoyance that my horse was injured in a serious manner. To be brief, I resigned myself to the necessity of at least remaining a few hours longer in that place, and a deep sleep came over me. In the morning I awoke much refreshed, though still suffering from the pain of the severe contusions that I had received. All hope of continuing my journey on horseback was destroyed, and I accordingly procured a post-chaise in which I hastened on to Dover. There I arrived in the afternoon, and by accident I put up at the same hotel where you and your female companions had stopped. On inquiring, I heard that yourself and the young lady had departed for Calais in the morning, and that the old one had been arrested on her way to the port, in consequence of a communication received by electric telegraph from London. No steam vessel was to leave for France until the following day, 
and I was therefore compelled to wait patiently at the hotel. <laughs> patiently, indeed. No, that was impossible, for all these delays were maddening under the circumstances. But I will not dwell at unnecessary length on any portion of my narrative, much less upon the nature of the feelings which I experienced at that time. In the evening I dined in the coffee-room, if the mere mockery of sitting down to table and eating nothing can be called dining. And while I was thus seated at a repast which I did not touch, I was suddenly interested in a conversation which was taking place between two officers who were discussing a bottle of wine at an adjacent table. Oh, I ought to have perceived that there was something mysterious and wrong in that adventure upon the marine parade, cried Charles, literally savage with himself at his blindness and folly. But I was so completely infatuated by that artful, designing creature. I must implore you to compose yourself, interrupted Mr. Hatfield, in an earnest but kind tone, for if I am now relating to you all that occurred to me, it is only that you may become acquainted with everything, and have nothing left behind as a cause for future excitement. Therefore I will be explicit with you respecting the substance of the conversation which was passing between those officers in the manner I have described. Indeed, you may conceive my astonishment when I overheard one of them mention the name of Perdita, for that is by no means a common one, and perhaps this woman is the only being on the face of the earth who bears it. I accordingly listened, and in a short time the whole adventure which had taken place on the parade the evening before became known to me. Then I addressed myself to the two officers, stating that I had overheard their remarks and apologising for my rudeness in listening, but excusing myself on the ground that the young gentleman whom they had seen with Perdita was nearly allied to me, and that I was, in fact, in pursuit of him. They assured me that no apology was necessary, and I joined them in conversation. Then it was that I learnt a dreadful tale of female depravity, for it appears that Perdita became indeed the lost one at a very early age, and that her favours were distributed in Sydney to any good-looking young man who might happen to please her fancy. Oh, vile, detested Perdita! ejaculated Charles, almost gnashing his teeth with rage. Yes, you must know her character fully, my poor boy, said Mr. Hatfield, for fear that she should ever again endeavour to exercise her siren influence upon you. Oh, such an attempt would be utter madness on her part, cried Charles, now speaking with every symptom of the deepest indignation and even loathing. But what more, said the officers whom you thus singularly encountered? Well, it appears, continued Mr. Hatfield, that Perdita was not thoroughly depraved, in the sense which we allude to an unfortunate woman who plies her hideous trade for bread. No, she bartered not her charms for gold. Indeed, though very poor, she would scarcely ever receive any recompense from her favourites, unless delicately conveyed in the form of presents. But money she never took. Her pride revolted at that and it was purely through the wantonness of her disposition and the burning ardour of her temperament that she plunged headlong into a career of licentiousness. 
oh, and i to have fallen the victim to such a polluted wretch exclaimed the young man well at sydney continued mr hatfield she was looked upon as a species of prodigy endowed with an intellect as powerful as her beauty was great and possessing extraordinary natural abilities she listened with eagerness to the conversation of those officers and other gentlemen who became her favourites and treasured up all the information she could thus acquire she was also fond of reading the newspapers sent from england and all works treating of the mother country and the principal nations of europe and thus she gleaned a vast amount of miscellaneous knowledge fitting her to become a woman of the world with singular facility too she studied and appropriated the gentility of gait demeanour and manners which she observed in her superiors and the very bearing of the ladies in sydney as they walked abroad was noted and adopted by her thus even in her poverty to which she clung rather than surrender up her independence by becoming a wife or a kept mistress for she might have been either even in her poverty i say there was an air of lofty pride and calm hauteur about her which would have led a stranger to fancy that she had sprung from an aristocratic stock whose family fortunes had decayed moreover her spirit was indomitable and fiery and she knew full well how to avenge an insult did she receive overtures from any one who was displeasing to her she would reject them with scorn and if possible she would punish the adventurous suitor in one way or another for his insolence in addressing her it was her delight at times to throw around herself her deeds her words and even her entire character a veil of mystery and to effect an eccentricity of habits and a singularity of manner which made many ignorant and credulous people imagine that she was a being of no common order amongst those who might be properly styled her equals she was reserved cold and distant and even to those whom in the same sense we may denominate her superiors she demeaned herself condescendingly as if conferring a favour on them by her presence in her amours she maintained this singular pride as if she were a catherine of russia inviting her lovers to her arms but never yielding to the invitation that might come from them in a word this perdita was looked upon as the most remarkable and at the same time the most unintelligible the most incomprehensible character at sydney and even the most respectable persons were anxious to have her pointed out to them when they walked abroad endowed with such a splendid intellect possessed of such rare and almost superhuman loveliness robing herself as it were in mystery and evincing so proud a spirit as well as such an aptitude for the self-appropriation of the refinements and the etiquette of genteel breeding it cannot be wondered at if perdita should have been regarded in no common light by the inhabitants of the penal settlement but from all i have now told you charles it is easy for you to comprehend how dangerous is the character of such a woman how completely she must be the mistress of every art in the school of hypocrisy guile and deceit and if i have been thus elaborate in my details respecting her if i have thus minutely recapitulated all that i learnt from the two officers at dover it is simply to place you more effectually on your guard with reference to that siren 
i have already said interrupted charles speaking with the vehemence of sincerity and of deep conviction that never never could she resume her empire over me oh my dear father the lesson has been too terrible not to have served as a warning and sooner would i seek the embrace of a hideous serpent than suffer myself to be allured back to the arms of perdita and oh ejaculated the young man a sudden reminiscence flashing to his mind i should have taken warning days and days ago for i recollect a fearful dream which i had and which i now must look upon as providential madman that i was to neglect so solemn a foreshadowing of the truth compose yourself charles cried mr hatfield and now let me finish my narrative i had reached that point which related to my accidental interview with the officers at dover where i was compelled to pass the night a night of cruel and torturing suspense next morning i crossed to calais and there i obtained a trace of you at dessin's hotel without delay i took a post-chaise and hurried on in pursuit i reached paris at five last evening and put up at the hotel whence we started just now but i had not any time to lose for i felt convinced that you intended to marry perdita i accordingly hurried off to the british embassy either to know the worst if the worst were indeed already accomplished or to take any measures i could to anticipate the ceremony in case it should not have been as yet performed but i could not obtain any satisfactory intelligence no one to whom i addressed myself was able to state whether certain persons whom i described had been married during the day or not i drove to the dwelling of the chaplain but he had gone a few miles into the country i found out the abode of his clerk but this official was likewise from home almost distracted i sped to the prefecture of police to ascertain if it were possible to discover your address in paris knowing that the landlords of all hotels are under the necessity of making daily returns of the names of their lodgers to the proper authorities but i found the prefecture closed for the night and i returned exhausted with fatigue and disconsolate in mind to the hotel summoning the commissionaire i gave him the necessary instructions to make particular inquiries at the prefecture the moment that establishment should open in the morning this he promised to do and i retired to bed but not to rest oh my dear father exclaimed charles seizing his parent's hand and pressing it with fervour to his lips how can you ever pardon me for all the uneasiness i have occasioned you and if you can how shall i hope to receive the forgiveness of my mother when she learns all the sorrow you have endured on my account it is not perhaps necessary that your mother should be made acquainted with everything observed mr hatfield emphatically but all this will depend upon circumstances especially on the results of our previous and private interview with lord ellingham as for you and me charles we have already forgiven each other everything said mr hatfield in a solemn tone and now my narrative has reached its conclusion he added for shortly after eight o'clock this morning the commissionaire came and informed me that he had discovered the hotel where you were residing you know the rest charles sighed but made no answer and the journey was continued for a long time in profound silence 
End of section 46